Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. I wanted you to look at Psalm 42 and 43, and we're going to talk about when you're down in the dumps. Because the reality is, you and I cannot live at a high level all the time. Reality sets in, life sets in, circumstances happen, relationships are frayed. And in the midst of that, you can become discouraged, defeated, depressed. And so I want us to look at a very powerful section of God's Word, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Normally I would read out of New American Standard, but I want to read this out of the message paraphrase, and the words are going to come up on the screen so you can follow along because very few people carry that with them. But the message paraphrase reads as follows. A white-tailed deer drinks from the creek. I want to drink God. Deep draughts of God. I am thirsty for God alive. I wonder, will I ever make it? Arrive and drink in God's presence. I'm on a diet of tears. Tears for breakfast. Tears for supper. All day long, people knock at my door, pestering. Where is this God of yours? These are the things I go over and over, emptying out the pockets of my life. I was always right at the head of the worshiping crowd, right out in front, leading them all, eager to arrive and worship, shouting praises, singing thanksgiving, celebrating all of us God's feast. Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Fix my eyes on God. Soon I'll be praising again. He puts a smile on my face. He's my God. Sometimes I ask God, my rock, Solid God, why did you let me down? Why am I walking around in tears, harassed by enemies? Now, we won't read all the psalm, but Psalm 42 and 43 were probably originally together in the Hebrew Old Testament. Somewhere along the line they were parted, but this is really one psalm, one song with three stanzas and a repeating chorus. And you find that chorus repeated, that refrain repeated in verse 5 and verse 11 of Psalm 42, and then in verse 5 of Psalm 43. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. God's people, even though we are God's people, even though we do have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we're depressed. Sometimes we're downhearted. And some would lead us to believe that if you can't praise your sorrow and your anxiety away, that you're just not spiritual. Then Jeremiah wasn't spiritual because he was a man who knew depression. Then Elijah was not spiritual because after Mount Carmel, Elijah went and hid himself And he got so depressed, he asked God to take his life. C.H. Spurgeon, the great preacher of the 19th century, lived with depression almost all of his adult life. Ron Dunn, who preached here 
12, 13 years in a row, lived with manic depression and bipolar almost all of his adult life. These are godly people. These are people who love Jesus. These are people who are in close, intimate fellowship with God, and yet there was something in their life that, that caused them to be depressed and discouraged, whether it was chemical or biological or genetic or circumstantial or whatever it was. It was a reality. And it is a tribute to their faith that they did so much, even when they were battling and struggling, to keep their head above water. Winston Churchill said that depression followed him like a black dog on attack. Abraham Lincoln acknowledged in many of his writings his battle with depression. And yet they were men who rose above their depression and rose above their circumstances to be great leaders. And so how do we address this problem of depression? Warren Wiersbe says depression is a major ill that affects more people than we imagine and infects more people than we realize. You can't go to the mall, you can't go to the beach, you can't go to a tourist area and not see people who, although they're in a climate where they should be happy, look like life has fallen apart on them. They seem afraid, discouraged, defeated, beaten down by life. And how do they handle it? How do we handle it? How do we as God's people handle this matter of depression? Well, the first thing, we need to look at some reasons for depression. Now, I've got to say right at the top, I am not a counselor, and I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Okay, if you came to me for counseling, you would probably run through the door or jump out the window by the time I got through. You know, I'm not a counselor. I don't claim to be one. But there are some certain reasons, broad reasons that are given to us and obvious to us about why depression happens. And typically, those that are experts say that it happens more in people who are introverted than those who are extroverted that those who have more of a melancholy kind of temperament tend to slip into discouragement and depression more so than those who are extroverted. Whether that's the case or not, it's not a hard and fast rule. Even if you're an extrovert, you can be discouraged at times. But the key is that God uses people with all personalities and all kind of things that they have to deal with, and that's what we want to see. But let's look at some reasons for this depression. First of all, there can spiritually be a sense of separation. There can spiritually be a sense of separation. You see, depression doesn't have to be a sign of weakness. It can actually be an opportunity for faith. It can be an opportunity where you're building a bridge spiritually rather than letting a gap build up spiritually. But spiritually, there can be a sense of separation. David felt like he and God were miles apart. He was running. He was pursuing. He was longing after God like a deer panting for water. And he's longing for communion and fellowship. Look at what he's doing. Verse 1, he's panting. He's thirsting. Verse 3 implies that he's hungering. For what? For God. Not only for God, for the living God. He wants intimacy with God. You see, sometimes in our lives, it's a struggle to pray. It's a struggle to worship. It's a struggle to get out of bed and come to church. And you fight the battle of the blues under the blankets, you'll always win. 
Because if the blankets and the blues decide whether you're going to get up and worship God, then the blankets have more power over you than the Holy Spirit. And you and I can get those times when we just want to pull the covers over our head and we just want to block the world out and we just want to go away and end up on a desert island somewhere and not have to deal with anybody or anything. And then when we come to church, if we do get up and we make it and we come to church and we see people praising God and excited, we can almost begin to resent that. Well, if they had what I had, if they were dealing with what I was dealing with, if they were wearing the weight that I'm wearing, then they wouldn't be praising God like that. But i got to tell you, there are people that have praised God on this platform that have walked through some deep, deep, dark valleys as witnesses that God makes us overwhelmingly conquer through Jesus Christ. As witnesses that God is greater in us than he that is in the world or the crisis that we're going through. It, it, there are times, though, when it seems like God is distant, not because He is but because we have let our feelings or our circumstances override our faith. There are physical reasons, physical separation. In verse 4, he's remembering that he used to be right in the thick of things when praise was real and, and his worship was real and the sense of God's presence was real to him, but now he's separated from that. Now, there's some debate about whether this psalm is written by David at a time of when he was either running from Saul or running from Absalom, or whether it was written by an exiled Jew who was exiled during the Babylonian captivity. Either way, whoever it was, whatever the circumstances they were going through, there was a sense of isolation and separation, a sense of being alone. They missed Jerusalem. They had been uprooted and separated from things that they were comfortable with, things that they knew, things that, that gave them a sense of security. And now all of a sudden, all of that's been uprooted and it feels like a strange place and a strange world. That can happen to you when you move from one community to the next. It can happen to you when you move off to college. It can happen to you when you you move away from family, when you move away from your family structure system and move out on your own, a lot of times we can feel physically separated from God because our physical circumstances have changed. We get depressed about it. We just wish we could go back to the safety of where we've been. There's a third one, and that's personally there was a sense of isolation. In chapter 42 and verse 3, he feels like there's nobody to talk to. The, the psalmist is surrounded by people, but nobody's an encourager. Everybody that's speaking to him is questioning him and questioning his God. There, there's nobody speaking words of encouragement to him. He, he was lonely. I think about the Apostle Paul when he was in prison and he wrote the letter to Timothy and he said, you go and you get my, my cloak. It's winter come before winter, and he says, you get my cloak and get the parchments and, and, and bring John Mark with you. And in the margin of my Bible by that passage, I have written these words. Paul was lonely, cold, and bored. He was lonely. He needed company. He was cold. He needed his cloak. He was bored. He wanted John Mark to come. He wanted somebody to come and spend some time with him. Even the great apostle Paul New times when it was dark. And here's a separation 
And here's personal sense of isolation. Over the last few years, I've struggled with that a little bit. My mentors and my heroes are dead. I can't begin to count the number of times when I've wanted to pick up the phone and call Ron Dunn and ask him how to deal with the situation, but he's no longer here. I can't recount the times that I wish I could have called Vance Havner one more time and said, what would you do if you were in this situation? The number of people that I have looked up to for counsel and leadership have gotten older and they've started dying and my circle of people that I can call and my quick dial on my phone has gotten very short. Most of the people I started in ministry with are no longer in ministry. And so even among my peers, I'm looking for those people that I can talk to about things that only minister to minister can you understand. Things that somebody that's not in the situation that doesn't go through the process doesn't understand what what it is. And folks, I want to tell you, the older you get, the lonelier you become. Whether it's going through midlife or whether it's going through the death of loved ones and of friends or family members, but you find out the number in the crowd begins to shrink and it gets a lot quieter and all of a sudden, personally, you begin to feel I'm kind of out here by myself. I want you to look at the symptoms. Verse 3, he was crying. He was in a downward spiral. He was falling into a a deeper depression. In verse 5, there was despair. Literally, my soul prostrates itself. He was lying flat. There was no enthusiasm. There was no sense of life, no sense of joy. His spirit was sagging. He couldn't get his mind off the troubles. He, he was in despair or downcast, King James says. In verse 5, he was disturbed. The Hebrew word disturbed there is an interesting word. It speaks of an incoherent murmuring or the growling of a wild animal. Incoherent murmuring, just, oh, God, you just, and you've been around people, you've had these moments when you just, just kind of talked to yourself and murmured to yourself and just, you know, you just, it was incoherent, but you, you couldn't find words to express what you were going through or the growling of a wild animal. You just get so angry. You're just ready to bite somebody's head off. And by the way, one of the signs of depression is anger. You just get angry about life and about the cards that have been dealt you. Verse 7, deep calls to deep. Deep was a word that the Jews dreaded. It was a mythical word, a word of chaos, a word of being overwhelmed by life, like the the waves were just crashing in on the life. Verse 9 and then chapter 43 and verse 2, why have you forgotten me? Why have you rejected me? Why do I go on mourning? There's this sense of loss and grief and sorrow going on. In verse 10, a shattering of my bones. Literally, that word is not shattering. That word is murder. A murder in my bones. I feel like somebody's killing me. I feel like I'm dying. 
feeling like the life is being cut out of me. That's what the psalmist is saying he's going through. Those, those are symptoms, the spiritual, the physical, the personal sense of isolation and separation. But there's a right response to it. And the psalmist begins to talk to himself. He, he kind of looks at himself and says, you know, why am I feeling like this? I know what it's like to praise God. I know what it's like to walk with God. I know what it's like to drink of the presence of God. Why am I in despair? And so there are two things. One is a necessity for honesty. If you read this psalm carefully, you'll find a, not a picture of despair, but actually a picture of faith. But he had to get honest before he could move on to faith. He had to learn to, God, to bring God into the situation. Now, if you need to see a doctor or a counselor, do it. If you need to and you don't, there's only one word. P-R-I-D-E. Pride will keep you from doing that. If you won't do it for yourself, do it for those you love. If you need to take medication, take it. And don't get off of it when you feel good enough that you think you don't need it anymore. Ronnie Dunn killed himself on Thanksgiving Day. He was taking medication for his manic depression, and he got to feeling good enough, and he quit taking it, and he took his life. If the doctors prescribe medication for you, then take it. Don't be embarrassed about it. If that's what you need, then do it. But whatever you do, whether you see a counselor or whether you take medication, for the love of God, put God in your prescription package. Don't leave Him out. Don't think that seeing the counselor is enough. Don't think that taking the medication is enough. You need to bring God into the picture. There are 51 personal pronouns in these two psalms. 14 times he says I, 16 times he uses the word me, and 21 times my. The psalmist had an I problem, capital I, and he had an E-Y-E-I problem that he was focused on himself and realized he needed to begin focusing on God. That his focus was in the wrong place. He mentions God 20 times, but he mentions himself 51 times. Ten times he asked the question, why? And not one time does God ever answer him. I am convinced that God normally doesn't answer the why question because if He did, we wouldn't understand it anyway. He didn't answer it for Job. He did not answer it for the thorn in the flesh with Paul. He didn't answer it for other people in the Bible. He probably won't answer it for us. The question is not why. The question is what I need to do in light of all of this. And so here's a man who is getting honest. You see, the most important thing you learn in the valley is not how to get out of it, but what to get out of it. Not how am I going to get out of this, but what am I going to get out of this? And to begin to look at life not in a mirror, but through a window. And look out to see what God might have to say to you. And so go back to the course of verse 5 of chapter 42. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. He was depressed, and he admitted it. The sad thing that I see is that people who are depressed and won't admit it. Here was a man who admitted he was depressed, and he talked to the Lord about it. I love this quote by J.H. Jowett, who was a great preacher of another era. 
And he had a guy that was putting him up on a platform and telling everybody how wonderful he was. And he wrote a letter to his friend and he said, I wish you wouldn't imagine that I have no ups and downs, but just a level and lofty stretch of spiritual attainment with unbroken joy. By no means. I am often perfectly wretched and everything appears most murky. I often feel as though my religious life had only just begun and that I am in the kindergarten age. But I can usually trace these miserable seasons to some personal cause. And the first thing to do is to attend to that cause and get it into the sunshine again. The necessity for honesty, getting it out into the sunshine. Not only that, there's a necessity for developing a longing heart for God. A necessity for developing a longing heart for God. If I'm going to change the way I think, that's an act of my will. And by an act of my will, I have to change whether my heart is to focus on my circumstances or my heart is to focus on God. Here's a man who is like a deer panting for water, panting after God, thirsting after God. Not religion, not experience, not a feeling. He wants God Himself. He knows that only God can meet Him at the point of His need. Now here's a book I would recommend. If you've not read it and you're dealing with discouragement or depression, I would recommend you reading Ron Dunn's book, When Heaven is Silent. And I think you need to read it and reread it. And then I would recommend if you're a reader, don't buy this book unless you're a really a reader because it is a deep book. But Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, Spiritual Depression, is a very good resource for people to read. So if you're a reader, I mean, it's weighty, so if you're just a casual, you know, if all you do is read the comics and the headlines, don't buy Spiritual Depression because you'll, you'll just put it on the shelf and forget about it. There are times when God seems silent. There are times, I think, when God removes from us a sense of His presence and allows our faith to be tested to make us look and lean harder on Him. And so I want to make three suggestions on developing a longing heart for God. Number one, remember the past. Remember God in your past. Verse 4, he says, I remember. This word in the Hebrew, I remember, is a strong expression of determination. I remember. Remember your past. Remember God's blessings. What happens when we get discouraged and when we get defeated and depressed is we forget all the blessings that God's given us. All the good things He's done. We forget the answered prayers. That's why I would encourage you to keep a journal and keep a prayer journal. Keep a list of the prayers that God answers. Because there will be times when it seems like God is not listening and you need to pull that list out and say, man, God heard me here. God answered this one. God did this for me. God came through. Because you know what? You will forget. You will have a moment when God comes through for you and say, I'll never forget that. And you'll go and pick up that journal 10 years from now and you'll look at it and say, and I forgot all about that. God was good to me then. God was with me. Jesus said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Jesus said that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that means that the God of today is just as real as the God of yesterday, even though you may not feel like it. He's still the same. 
So remember the God of the past. Secondly, remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. In one of Vance Havner's books, there's this little poem. I love this little poem. It says, Yesterday God helped me, today He'll do the same. How long will this continue? Forever. Praise His name. Yesterday God helped me, today He'll do the same. How long will this continue? Forever. Praise His name. Remember God's faithfulness. Thirdly, remember to put your hope in God. Not in yourself. Not in the words of men, but in God. The hymn, The Solid Rock, says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I shall not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. One of the great statements that I heard Ron Dunn make is this one, and you ought to write it down. Ron Dunn said, I have been to the bottom, and it's solid ground. Folks, you can go all the way to the bottom, and you'll find solid rock there if your hope is built on Jesus Christ, His blood, and His righteousness. Look at what the psalmist is doing. Let's turn it. Uh, Psalm 43, verse 1, basically what he says in verse 1, we won't take time to go through all of it, but in verse 1 he says God's going to get the last word. God's got the last word. Man's not going to have the last word. God's got it. Genesis 18, 25 says, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? God's going to do what's right. Verse 2, God promises His presence. God prom promises His presence. Phillips Brooks said, don't pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men. Don't pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your task. God's presence. Verse 3, God provides direction. Your light and your truth will lead me. Verse 4, it is not in circumstances, but in God that He finds the source of lasting joy. That little phrase, my everlasting joy, literally is God is the gladness of of my joy. God is the gladness of my joy. Not how I feel, not what I want, not my life, not my circumstances, not my friendships, but God is the gladness of my joy. Every time the psalmist mentions hope, you'll find a phrase attached to it, the help of my countenance. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you study people as much as I study people, you, you will have noticed this. And if you haven't, even just common sense tells you this. Happiness and sadness are two emotions that are hard to hide on your face. Right? Right? I mean, if you're happy, hey, how you doing? If you're sad, I guarantee you, when you walked into your Bible study class this morning, you knew where half the people were in your class by their countenance. You knew if they'd had a good week or a bad week. You knew if they'd had a good morning getting ready for church or a bad morning getting ready for church. Just by their countenance. They didn't have to say a word. In fact, they could have said, doing great. 
And their countenance said, liar, liar, pants on fire. You see, he said, the hope is the help of my countenance. In other words, I can put a smile on my face even when life is falling apart because my hope is not in that God's going to fix it, but that God is. And He's there. I can put hope on my face because 1 Peter 1.3 says, as a Christian, I have a living hope. Titus 2.13 says, I have a blessed hope. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you the hope of glory. The psalmist says, I remember. And so David does a little talking to himself. David basically says, you know, I'm not going to live under my circumstances anymore. I'm going to live with my eyes on God. I'm not going to live in despair. I'm going to live with hope. I'm tired of whining. I'm tired of moaning. I'm tired of being down in the dirt. I'm tired of being depressed. I'm tired of singing Linda Ronstadt's Poor, Poor, Pitiful Me. I'm just tired of doing it. I don't want to go to a blues club anymore. I want to have joy and I want to have peace. Countenance, face, look up. My hope is in God. And he changes the whole direction because he quits looking at himself and he starts looking to the Lord. And so I want to make very quickly for you seven practical suggestions for saints in depression. Number one, look away from your circumstances and look to God. Obviously, if you suffer from clinical depression or manic depression or bipolar relationship or whatever it might be, you need medical assistance and help and you need to follow doctor's orders and you need counseling to help you to deal with those kind of things. But in the basic things, when we get discouraged and we begin to view life a little off balance, look away from your circumstances and look to God. Number two, don't keep your depression bottled up inside. Don't keep your depression bottled up inside. Talk to somebody. Share it with your spouse. Share it with a friend. Share it with your parents. Share it with somebody at school. Share it with a teammate. Don't keep it bottled up inside. Let somebody help you and pray for you. Talk to people. It doesn't mean you have to tell everybody you know, but find the people that you can talk to. And remember to talk to God at the same time. Number three, learn to praise God even when you don't feel like it. The psalmist said, I shall again praise Him. Learn to praise God even when you don't feel like it. Praise is not an emotion. Praise is a choice. I choose to praise God even if I don't feel like praising God at the moment. I choose to rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Why? Because Paul wrote that in a prison. He didn't write that on vacation. He wrote it in a prison. Rejoice. It's the theme of the Christian life. I choose to praise God. Number four, put God at the forefront. If you notice at the top of this prayer, it says a prayer to the God of my life. Put God at the forefront. Put God at the front. Don't get out there ahead of God. Put God at the forefront of your life. Number five, put your feet on solid ground. Verse nine, God my rock. Put your feet on the solid ground, on the solid rock. Number six, make God your source of strength. 
Chapter 43 and verse 2, he says, God of my strength. Make God your source of strength. Or we'll try to make a preacher our source of strength or a person our source of strength or our own abilities and our own working it out our source of strength. No, make God your source of strength. Let God be the one that you lean on. He can take it. Let God be the crutch that you have in your life. Let God strengthen you. And finally, number seven, put your hope in God. And for that one, I want you to look at verse 3 of Psalm 43. Put your hope in God. I want you to look at the first part. Well, let's look at verse 3 and 4. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. I want you to look at two little phrases there. Your light and your truth. Light directs your walk tells you where you're supposed to go, shows you the pitfalls that you're supposed to avoid. Truth corrects the way you think. Light directs the way you walk. Truth directs and corrects the way you think. You see, you not only need to think the right way, you need to walk the right way. You not only need to walk the right way, you need to think the right way, and you need both. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If we're going to change the way we think, if we're going to get out of our depression and our gloom and our despair and our discouragement, if we're going to begin to think the way we need to think, then what we have to do is we have to get into the truth and we have to walk in the light. And when we get into the truth and correct the way we think, and when we walk in the light and watch for the pitfalls that are there for us, then God can guide us. And even in moments of despair, we can find hope in God. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Kett. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.